This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. Stress and anxiety are feelings. They don't show up on an x-ray. Surgery can't remove them. That doesn't stop our body from converting those feelings into physical manifestations. Where do you feel anxiety? Does your chest tighten? Does your heart beat faster? Do you break out in a sweat? While this physical reaction is stress-related, it may also work the other way in helping you reduce or even control your anxieties. The Sixth Sense of Mental Health, right now on The Happy Molecule. Dr. Michael Mance is an integrative psychiatrist. His approach to better mental health is a holistic one. He works with his clients to use their five senses to feel, see, hear, and yes, even taste and smell their anxiety. But the purpose is not just to perceive these inner feelings, but to actually use them to take action. He joins me from his office in Santa Barbara, California. Dr. Mance, integrative psychiatrist, integrating what? Well, oftentimes in, in the healing professions, we have this sort of divide between what we may call like alternative or holistic uh, medicine as opposed to the Western medicine approach. And, you know, in the alternative uh, holistic or even functional medicine, you may be using a wide variety of treatment modalities, some of them traditional, other times, uh, some of them more sort of like advanced and, and potentially using uh, different types of technologies that are not often taught in the uh, the Western medic medical schools. So you may, might be using herbal medicines of uh, uh, acupuncture, for instance, uh, different types of meditation, you know, there could be all, a whole slew of different techniques that right now in our in our, uh, there's a lot of neuroscience that's backing up a lot of these uh, modalities and their ability to heal uh, the brain on a more fundamental level. And also, though, not leaving out the the Western medical side, which also has some benefit, you know, some great benefits with uh, the use of uh, pharmacological medicines and uh, and you know our traditional categorical diagnoses. So it's a it's a combination of both. Um, oftentimes you'll get people that will uh, like you'll have a kind of a traditional Western medical doctor who might poo poo a lot of the the holistic and or traditional. I mean, uh, or the kind of what would they make called non traditional approaches, uh, thinking that it's all just sort of a placebo effect or something along those lines, uh, somehow just sort of uh, disparaging it to some extent, as opposed to, uh, and then you may have some holistic uh, practitioners that may see that almost like every pharmaceutical medication is, is poison. And if you put it into your body, it, it, you're, you're going to destroy yourself. And so there's often this kind of polarization, which we see this this kind of polarization in many different areas. So it's not surprising that it would also happen here, but an integrative uh, psychiatrist or doctor in general looks at the best at both sides, has that kind of training uh, to be able to look at the neuroscience and the different forms of like nutritional science and how to integrate these different areas. We're, we're kind of like cross pollinators. We look at like different areas and look how they how the confluence of, of different ways of approaching healing. Like for instance, like, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't hear a, a traditional Western medical doctor try to look at the so for instance like healing the gut in order to heal the brain you we hear this more popular now we're seeing this a lot in the functional movement but that's not, not a way that that uh, the kind of traditional Western method which kind of just 
pretty much reduces the body into a bunch of different you know, separate organs and doesn't really look at it as much as a system of interrelated parts, which uh, I think is one of its downfalls. And hopefully it's getting more into that line. But anyway, they can look at that. So one side of the will sort of poo poo uh, that each side, but an integrated person sees the best of both worlds and combines them together. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second. You can back off just a bit because you're popping on the mic. You can okay. speak just a bit over it. Uh, just okay. like put it gonna, lower than me. Just so you, you're going to talk, but you see where my pen is. You're going to or yeah. sort of aim that way. Yeah, that'll that'll help a lot too. But that's all right. It, it, it's still fine. As that's nitpicking. Okay. okay. And you're you're uh, you are uniquely qualified, I, I might say, to to be the person to do this integration because you've had a, a varied background in education. Exactly. I had a very non-traditional approach. Uh, I was very much into nutrition, um, exercise. I, I used to be a personal trainer uh, for a while, uh, but I also was also plagued with a lot of health issues. And, um, and so initially in my early stages of my life, I had a lot of gut issues. So I was, I was often struggling with my weight. And, um, and I did oftentimes, you know, went to doctors early on in life. And I was on three medications by the age of 16, uh, where, uh, you know, for different issues, I was on um, uh, Prevacid for, uh, you know, my gut uh, had some, you know, for acid reflux, um, I had uh, two other medications to help heal that. And then I just noticed myself just getting tired and more sick. And then over, over time, I realized like, I don't want to be on three medications. I'm already um, now, like I'm only 16 and 17 and 18. And I had like an endoscopy where they put a tube down your throat and a colonoscopy at this, these young ages. And so I started looking into nutrition and how to do that and looking at different other alternative ways to heal myself and get from my traditional uh, GI doc at the time. So it kind of then dovetailed me into the exploration of nutrition, exercise. Uh, I looked into herbal medicines and I was able to uh, uh, lose a significant amount of weight. I was 21, I was 267 pounds. And I'm now currently about 198. That'll be the dream. That's, that's always going to be the dream for me. Not an easy trip. Uh, actually, one of the things I, I do is food addiction as well. Mm -hmm. um, and just the emotional attachment and the strong emotional connection with food. But that would be another time. But that was, you know, so I learned all these sort of interrelated elements. And it was almost mainly from my own experiences. And then I was able to not use those medications anymore, feeling better, feeling great. Um, and then, of course, then the journey kind of takes you on even further. I wind up actually having this sort of um, heart condition. Uh, it was actually an autonomic nervous system uh, condition that affected my heart when I was in medical school. And that also taught me that I really needed at that time, I did need the help of some uh, pharmacological medicine. And with the addition of some of the other, uh, what we would call holistic or functional medicine approach. So my life almost took me in that direction and taught me whether I wanted to or not, it put me through it. That's, that's the image I'm getting. I'm getting this image of in order for you to help heal it, you're going to need to experience it. And uh, that, that, like I say, it puts you in a very unique position, almost a, one of empathy with your patients. Spot on, exactly. And it has that kind of almost like the, 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 the wounded uh, healer motif is, uh, you know, that, that really helps out because it's one thing to even like, you know, be able to understand someone's emotions, but to understand what they go through, uh, like it's been super helpful to actually have that. And it also teaches you a lot about uh, when your body is going through these uh, 
quote unquote dis-ease uh, experiences that oftentimes they can be transmuted. They can be transmuted into something extraordinarily beautiful and positive and healing and can spread. You know, we often talk about with like post-traumatic stress disorder, but we don't talk as much about a post-traumatic growth. And I think in some ways, if we just want to loosen up the term for a second of trauma, you know, these these periods of where some of us might get ill for, you know, a year or two uh, often uh, can be a catalyst for deep growth. And um, and I have found that to be the case. And, and, and I, I try to engender that in the, the patients and clients I treat. One of your approaches is that of interoception. Tell me what, tell me what interoception is. Yeah. So interoception, essentially we have our five external uh, senses, you know, sight, Yeah, And do you know, do you know the other day when I knew I was going to be talking to you, I tried to remember what our five senses were and I could only (laughs) remember four of them for the longest time. So allow me to go through them just to show you I can. Your, your, Your sight, your hearing, your touch, your taste, your feel, feeling? So you, you know what the easiest way to do this? I'll just make it. I'll, I'll take okay, you out please, of the pain. Please. Three S's, two T's. Okay. All right. So the sight, sight, sound, smell. Yeah. And taste. then touch and taste. Okay. Yeah. All right. Actually, I had the same issue back in the day. <laughs> uh, and once I came up with that, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. So. <laughs> but you're using this. And what's what's extraordinary is that this is finally admitting that the brain is attached to the rest of our body. Shocker, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously the nervous system is spread throughout the entire body. It's just, it's a big communication network. In fact, we're noticing now, you know, what they call it the second brain at the level of the gut, where, you know, the vast majority of the signal, I believe it's even 90% of the signal is going from the gut to the brain and only 10% is going from the brain to the gut. Uh, mm. I think there's a comparable, maybe not quite as dramatic, but with the heart actually sending more signals nervous system signals to the brain as opposed to what it receives from the brain. So this is a distributed network uh, that is very, very complex, very, very, very uh, just, you know, highly sophisticated uh, creation that we are running on right now. All right. So that's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm uh, in touch with uh, what I'm feeling. I'm in touch with what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. How is that going to help depression, anxiety, stress, even, even PTSD? Well, so at first we're, we're talking about those exteroceptive senses. So your sight, sound, smell, taste, and mm-hmm. touch. And what they can do, what they could be helpful is, if you haven't noticed, many of us and probably a lot of people who are listening here is that we have extraordinarily active minds. We have this sort of inner commentator that's constantly chattering, chattering. Some of us might have a pretty heavy handed inner critic that might judge us very often. And, and we have this sort of ongoing chatter, especially when we're sort of daydreaming or we're just like looking around what we call uh, in technical terms, the default mode network, which is that just that kind of incessant, constant kind of background chatter that goes on when we daydream or we're just thinking about whatever as it pops up in our mind. And because we're now subjected to, this is kind of like what we're seeing is that to a lot of this hype, what we call hypernormal stimuli, you know, the, the, the TVs, the, the, the phone screens, the, the iPads, the laptops, you know, you name it, all this stuff, the, the, these sort of bright LED lights that we're subjecting our, 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 our eyes to incessantly is, is creating a, a, a very hyper stimulated nervous system. 
And oftentimes this is leading to uh, just greater kind of activation of this default mode network, greater chatter in our mind. So we're, we're almost lost in our thoughts almost incessantly. A lot of studies have kind of shown how often we're just lost in thought. And, uh, and even I think their estimates were actually, I think kind of on the low end, I think it's actually up in the 90% would be my prediction uh, in real in reality. So our senses can, can help reground us back into the direct experience of what is as opposed to the abstractions of the symbolic uh, form of our thoughts. So you can just start to look at the different colors that are around you right now, or smell, or just hear the different sounds as vibrations going in your ear. And by doing this, you've started to come out of that, that abstraction and symbolic aspects of your mind and bring your attention back into the direct experience of your environment. That alone will start to be able to, because your attention has a limited bandwidth, you, uh, when you start to then start to redirect it towards sense information, it has less of uh, access to uh, the thoughts going through. So ultimately that will start to calm and quiet down that incessant chatter. So it's like going out of your mind and into your senses. So we're talking about, uh, about cognitive behavior here. It, it, it is, it is the moment it's present. You know, we, we, I think we've all done that little, that little, uh, thing where you, where you get a, a raisin and you feel it and you touch it and you smell it and you taste it and you, you, you know, you, you take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're taking it a step further. Well, yeah. So what I or a few steps was, further. Yeah. What, what happened was, is that it was actually early in my residency training. Um, I had a, I was very interested. There's only a small percentage of psychiatrists that get trained in psychotherapy anymore. Uh, I believe it's less than now 5%, uh, maybe even less than that. And so I was very interested in being one of the, that 5% that wanted to learn about psychotherapy. So I had this patient of mine who was suffering from what we would call OCPD or obsessive compulsive personality disorder along with OCD. So they tend to be more rigid in their ways. They want to have things a certain way like if they don't eat dinner at like 5 30 on the dime they're probably going to get irritable they want to have their you know their their stuff in their um drawers in a certain way and and that kind of thing that kind of personality along with maybe some ocd like obsessive thinking so this is a very difficult uh condition to treat and so i was with this person for about a year and a half and we were making some hedgeway uh but over time, it was a lot of it was cognitive. So a lot of psychotherapy were talking. And, uh, and so it's harder to kind of ground like you, you often get the thing like, yeah, I know how screwed up I am, but it hasn't really changed my life at all. So how do you change what you're learning, and actually bring it and embody it so that you can change your life and shift it dramatically. So I was trained in something called I rest, uh, which is a form of yoga nidra called the sleeping yogi. It's a type of uh, meditation, a yogic meditation. It was teached by a, a, a really awesome gentleman that was a, a mentor of mine, um, Richard Miller. He has a PhD in, in psychodynamics with also this background in this yogic practice. And I, I you know, I learned it in my first uh, two years, I learned I became a level two I rest practitioner. And so I started, you know, I started saying, why don't I start inserting this into my psychotherapy? Because I was learning some of the traditional psychodynamics, CBT, that kind of thing. So I, I started with this particular gentleman, I started 
actually really just training him uh, instead of just l having this sort of open and dialogue i started having him sense his body i said you know just have him sense your body noticing the the hot parts or the warm parts and the cold parts and the tight parts and the loose parts and and this really being very basic with this person and and i just started focusing more on this sort of attentional training but by focusing on the body sensations themselves because it was hard for him to kind of access emotions often people who are are obsessive uh, or have these sort of either OCD or OCPD are all top heavy. They're kind of up in their heads and they're disembodied. So this approach actually helped him. And after I taught him and then I saw him like a couple weeks later, he came back. He's like, why didn't you show me this about a year ago? Because it's been so dramatic. And honestly, it was so I get goosebumps even as I'm telling you this, because you could see the difference. It was like something woke up in his eyes, this level of vitality that rose. Now, this is his experience was a little faster than in other cases, but it opened up my eyes, as you could imagine, being a young resident in training. Um, and so then I began to just sort of tinker with it a little bit more and adapt it over time because not everybody can sense their body uh, to a high degree. So you have to learn different techniques to do that. But and then learning a lot of the science behind it. So I dove right into that and I've done some presentations, but I've become very much enamored with this sixth sense, as we call it, the interoception, or how we sense our bodies, you know, the bodily sensations that we have, the tightnesses, the the, the tinglings in the body, the the headache, uh, the, the constriction in the belly, or the warmth in our hands, uh, and how important it is for things like emotional regulation. You wouldn't think that right off the top, or decision-making capacity, or creativity. I mean, very, very interesting. And I started diving into the science and, and now I, I use it as this essential part of my practice. All right. So, so talk me through an introduction to this. Are you, are you saying to me that, that I, I need to use these sensations to distract myself or do, am I using these sensations to teach myself? Uh, more, much more on the latter. Uh, mm -hmm. Occasionally, you can use it for distraction. I tend yeah. to uh, only use distraction in cases of where the intensity of the emotion would be too high, yeah. where the attention is sort of dysregulated, where a person you may train like sort of they, they may have like a certain spot in their body that just feels very comfortable. You know, for some people, it's like their feet because it's grounded mm -hmm. to the ground. So I might just drive them to go to their you know, to their feet if they're getting uh, too hyper stimulated in their emotions. However, most of it is actually becoming uh, bringing your attention back into your body does a, a lot of different things. You know, one is we're taught at a very early age to kind of dis like almost like to disregard the body completely um, in, in ways of like, you know, push through different pains, not pay attention to different aspects of our bodies. Uh, we often, you know, drive ourselves uh, to the point of, of sheer fatigue. And, 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 and oftentimes, like uh, I, I may have mentioned this in the past, but the relationship that a lot of us have with our bodies when I've actually been working from now 10 years in clinical experience is usually either like, you'll have a, an experience of either fearfulness in the body. Like, what is this? What's this in my body? What's going on like that? Like hypochondriacal concerns or just, just, just general unease and worry about the different sensations in your body, or that you might have uh, irritability with the body. You may be frustrated with it. Like, why is my arm not really working or why is my back feeling the way it does? So often these sort of like very difficult, um, angry, uh, you know, emotions coming towards our body or disgust. I often, you know, say in some of my presentations, I go, 
Just imagine right now you were to stand completely naked in front of a full length mirror for three minutes and just imagine that experience. And then ask yourself the question after you had the experience, would you rate that experience if you were to have that as overall positive, negative, or neutral? I wouldn't do it. I would be embarrassed. I, I wouldn't do it. I don't want to see myself naked. Yeah. And so we wonder why the well-being, we struggle to find it mm -hmm. when the actual vehicle that is carrying us through life is often a source of either, and, and you're, you know, this is very common, and I appreciate your, your openness on this, is a, is a feeling of embarrassment or anger or disgust. And it really, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's very interesting in my line of work is, you know, people might have certain ideas of what uh, beauty might look like and everything like that. But oftentimes what people might might think a person like, wow, they have a, a quite the physique, often have the darkest emotions toward their body, uh, you know, often deep disgust or anger or, or even fear. And um, I don't see that as a way out either. And so that's why I find like things like this to be super important is to re-engage your attention with the body in this sort of very simple and then, and yet quiet way, you know, it's like bringing that sort of non-judgmental space and just giving attention to your body. And in a way it starts to heal this sort of divide that we often have between our minds and our bodies and bringing that. And that's where that integration happens. And when integration happens, you increase the adaptive capacity of your entire being. Okay. Um, where do most people feel their stress and their anxiety in, in your experience? Is it the stomach? It's generally midline. Uh, I would say chest, solar plexus, stomach will probably okay. be that. But yeah, stomach is a quite a common area. All right. So what's happening? And if, if I sense it, what should I do about it? Okay. So see, right away is the do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I need this fixed see, right now. Give me a pill, please. Exactly. It's like, I just need to fix this. Immediately, there's something wrong. And that's, that's the difference with, uh, it's a huge difference, I would say, between the Western model and some of the non-traditional, like, you know, your, your holistic models and all that stuff is that we don't always see things as a problem. We see it as a signal. Your body's trying to tell you something. Can you just listen for a moment? And yeah. oftentimes, a lot of things just can happen by themselves. You don't actually have to push. Sometimes your body, just by giving it attention and just slowing down and just being with it. Well, I guess some people like you get some of those type A personalities like, all right, what, what is this? What am I doing here? You know, and, and, and you have to, you know, obviously coach them through it. But oftentimes you notice that things tend to resolve themselves. When you're not trying to always try to change what's happening, things tend to change at that point in, in, a, in a healthier, more balanced direction. It's our... hard for our Western minds to accept sometimes. Okay, is, is our body demanding attention there? Or is there something else at play? Like, why, has, why does my stomach not up if, if I get stress and anxiety? Is my stomach trying to tell me something? Is my brain trying to tell my stomach to tell me something? And I hope that doesn't sound overly simplistic, but what's happening? Well, there can be many, many things. It's not a simplistic. In fact, that's a complex uh, question. There can be multiple things. One of the things is because of what we know now about uh, the, the gut uh, brain connection, as I was mentioning before, and about how much the belly is signaling to the brain as opposed to the brain signaling to the belly and the intricate network that's available there. I mean, you, you got to imagine like 
it is the area in which we're consuming a wide array of different biochemicals. It's having a lot of interactions that has, of course, this huge microbiome, you know, and, and it's whole, like a lot of different chemical reaction things going on there. So it's very complicated. It's a very complex, very sophisticated area. So, you know, a lot of times if you if that area is being thrown off, uh, you know, that's what's going to feed the rest of your body. It's going to feed your brain. It's going to feed your heart. It's going to feed your liver. Mm. That's going to go through your gut. So your gut's got a signaling if it's not doing so well. And oftentimes we are eating diets. I mean, just look around. I mean, we're not usually eating the foods that are that are optimal. So oftentimes our guts are inflamed. Uh, they're often dysregulated. They're imbalanced. So it's not uncommon then the brain, I think the gut to respond in a agitated way to kind of try to start to inform you like, hey, there, there's something going on here. Uh, I think that's often uh, one of the bigger reasons why we tend to feel these sort of agitated feelings in our gut. So what do we do about that? I mean, do we just take some Pepto-Bismol, uh, eat, a little, <laughs> eat a little bit better? Uh, what do we do? In fact, that's what we do, right? That's what uh-huh. we do. You know, we're saying, oh my gosh, I, I had an upset stomach for a couple of days. I'm just going to get rid of it and take the Pepto-Bismol. Uh, off it goes. It, it's gone. So we've taken, yes. we've taken care of it. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the car engine light is on. So just unplug it. <laughs> put a, or fine. put a piece of tape over it. Yeah, that's right. That's it, right. You're, you're fine. Problem you're solved. And, and, and I think, you know, that is what we do most of the time. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, it's interesting. There was a statistic that for like heart disease, for instance, like one of the, the 40% of the time that the presenting symptom is heart attack. And so like, I, I see that that presenting symptom, when I talk to people now, cause I've treated a lot of people who have like heart attacks, because you could imagine how, um, how that might affect your mind afterwards in your recovery. Oftentimes you have depression and anxiety and panic mm-hmm. that can ensue afterwards. But when you talk to these people, when that was like, yeah, that was the first thing. When I start to teach them a little bit more about their, their, their interoceptive capacity and sensing their body, it starts, it even activates old autobiographical memories where they start, you know what, I was feeling something off way back when, and you know, this many, yeah, and it was doing, and I just ignored it. It's like, they start to remember some of these things. And you, so you see how costly it is to not be in tune with your body's language is not verbal, it's nonverbal. It's the, it, it speaks to us in these sensations with these tightnesses and dropping sensations and rising sensations and tingling and warmth and coolness and all these other things. It's talking to us continuously. So, you know, there's times when you don't need to listen to it. Your body's just kind of just chilling and relaxing. But there's other times when the body is probably screaming its head off, except we get so good at sort of turning the volume down and sort of it's a form of dissociation and i think it's very prevalent in our society today. and it turns us off and it makes us like you know as you're kind of looking at from your mental health standpoint which is i i, I totally am on board with and that is to, to to get things early to be preventative well one of the things is and how do how can one of the in, key factors is that is if we're not in touch with our bodies and we don't listen to that and we get dissociated from that to some extent then it's even hard to even know like when when to speak up for it and when to actually start to do things because when to go beyond that simple just gentle prevention but when to even go into a, a mild intervention which if you do soon enough you won't have to do a huge intervention or at least or damage yourself unfortunately if that if you don't listen to it at all so instead of looking for those simple fixes, instead of looking for the simple reasons, dive into it. Like really listen to your body. Why are you feeling that way? Uh, you know, you bring up, you bring up someone having a heart condition maybe, and that that's what, that's what causes their death. Well, what caused the heart condition? 
what caused the reasons behind that heart condition? Absolutely. What caused the reasons behind the reasons? And uh, going back, is, you know, just paying attention. So you're saying pay attention, but don't mm-hmm. necessarily try and do something right right now. Yep. Exactly. So let me give you a for instance. Let's yeah. let's try to ground this a little bit so it doesn't get too. So abstract. you're talking about a husband and wife arguing, and 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 she says to him, "I don't want you fixing my problems. I just want you to hear them." And he'll argue back. And I'm sorry if I'm being sexist here. And he'll argue back. Well, <laughs> I just I just want to fix. I just want to fix the problem. There's a, there's a great thing on YouTube. It's called um, uh, "There's a Nail in Your Head," and I suggest <laughs> people look at that if they want to know exactly what I'm talking about. So. It is one of the toughest things to do to sit and listen to other people without trying to fix their problems. It's got to be even tougher to sit and say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to try and solve this right away. Yeah. Well, first of all, there may not be anything for you to solve. And oftentimes you don't have anything to solve with that. Um, you know, the, the other thing to, uh, to kind of highlight, let me bring a, a, an example I often use. And that is like, let's just say you're at work. You start to feel a little bit restless and you interpret that, you know, when you hit, you hit this restless, they like, like, Oh, I feel like I have like low blood sugar. I just need to eat something. Yep. So then you wind up eating something. And because the eating something turns on that kind of rest and digest system, the parasympathetic system, uh, you feel better. And so then every time now you get this sort of restlessness, uh, you, you now interpret it as, Oh yeah, I have blood blood sugar. So I got to go now and, and, and eat something. And of course it resolves it because, but it's resolving it for another reason. Let's say instead, instead of just immediately trying to actively, you know, resolve that issue, you listen to the, uh, the ear, what was going on in your belly, that kind of, that what, what the restlessness that was going on inside your body. And as you sat with it, all of a sudden it, it, it activates an associative network oftentimes. And you might start getting like, like little like thoughts or images or memories. And so it activates this association and you start noticing that, oh, I'm actually anxious because of X, Y, and Z. I have a presentation to do, or uh, I have a certain deadline that's coming my way. So now you've, you've slowed down and you've gotten a more accurate interpretation of what's going on. And when you notice that, oftentimes the body will give you a signal. You'll notice when you, when you have this accurate mapping out as to the signal to the interpretation of that signal, there's what's called, they call a resonance signal in the body. It's sort of like an inner aha. And you can feel it. Oftentimes you notice that the tension just like either goes away completely or goes away a little less. You feel a little lighter. You feel a little more vitality in the body. And that signalized, like, oh, well, actually, no, this wasn't uh, low blood sugar. This is actually because of some anxiety that was having. Then you now go to the root of the issue. So rather than going into some potential problematic emotional eating pattern, you're now going to the root cause because you didn't go ahead and immediately try to adjust. You sensed and you allowed your body to communicate with you. Wow. So, so right there by stopping, by examining and by listening rather than taking action, you've not only started back on the road to, to, to much better mental health, but you may, you, you've stopped yourself from, from something that could eventually lead to obesity or some sort of eating disorder at the same time. It's, it's like talking to, to a parent who the way that they calm their children down is just to give them food. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 here, just eat this, eat that. And, and, and they, it works, right? It works. They're quiet. Sure. However, we're not hearing what the child is saying. We're not hearing why the child is crying, why the child is acting up. Mm-hmm. And then before long, the child just acts up anyway, because he gets a reward. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's a perfect example of that. And so there, so that's just one of many things that that it does. Uh, you know what we find. You know, there's a there's a term. It's called alexithymia, and and essentially alexithymia often is thought of uh, as like you know, people have like real difficulty or inability to uh, feel their emotions, describe what's going on, uh, and and so they're kind of like they're kind of blunted in that in that particular way. Uh, it's it's I consider it a form of dissociation. However, you, oftentimes we were taught in medical school to think of it as like either like where you get the classic example would be a sort of a, a, a veteran with PTSD who just doesn't feel anything anymore and it's very difficult for them to access their emotions they're just it's kind of like you always get the sense of like wood when you're around a person like that it's a, it's a sense of like dullness that's it they're like shut down uh however i found it more useful to think of that as a spectrum a spectrum of, of, of difficulties trying to access uh these particular sensations in the body and i think it comes from a lot of adverse uh childhood experiences and and, and developmental stages where you might have been embarrassed about your body or or someone made fun of you or teased you in those regards. And, and these sort of uh, insidious beliefs we accumulate. There's a, uh, i trying to remember his name, uh, but he, he wrote this book, uh, it's like Van Kisserhoff or something along those lines. I'm sorry if I bastardized his name, <laughs> but, it's, but it's called Your Body Keeps Score. It was a trauma book. And, um, and oftentimes I think there, there's the idea of like a big trauma, like, you know, there would be like sexual violence or, uh, or some sort of death uh, or, or near death experience. Uh, but then there's the idea of what we call little traumas, little T's that, that sort of accumulate over time. And they can almost equate to a large T if, uh, if frequent enough and intense enough over time. So I think there's these like, I'm going to loosen that term up a little bit, you know, and just use it. I think there's these little fractures because you could think of trauma as almost like a fracture in the body. And so in, in the psyche itself. And so when you're having these like fractures, you miss, you can't communicate. You're not responding to your body. You're cut off. And oftentimes, you know, I think a lot of people have a different degrees of this alexithymia. Now, what they find with these with the alexithymia not only affects your ability to feel, it affects your ability to think. It, in, in fact, a lot of people with alexithymia have decreased imaginal capacities. This is not interesting. Hmm. So your ability to be disconnected is, is, is it affects a broad range of things. So what I have found is uh, when I started reading about this kind of thing and I, I was starting to get people to sense their bodies, like their creativity went up, their vitality went up, they started to get more in touch with, I mean, how do you know that something is meaningful? How do you know that something is interesting to you? It's your body that tells you it's not your mind, your mind says it afterward, that's a post hoc analysis. Mm -hmm. But it's your body that responds, there's this like, brightness that goes up in your body, this vitality that kind of like cues you in, you, you, you kind of lose track of time, those kind of things. These are bodily senses. And so by getting more attuned to that, not only can you help like help not form misinterpretations that could lead you down a, a very dangerous path, but it also can connect you. And I think one of the things we're really missing out, as you know, right now, when a lot of police people in lockdown is a sense of connection. So I would suggest if you can't do as much interpersonal connection, want, let's start intrapersonally connecting. And that will help you to then connect to what you're interested in and what you value, which then connects you further out to the world, which I think can really be a, we can make better use of this time and learn to connect in that deeper way. Great advice. And especially at this time, uh, just before uh, you know, we end things here. I, I there was another thing I wanted to talk about, and that is I want to take a bit of a tour of our of our 
nervous system, maybe our neurosystem and our brain. And, and, and I want to talk specifically about our parasympathetic nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system, our hippocampus, and what's that other little piece at the end of the hippocampus? Well, you're talking about, I, I, I'm almost assured that you're going to say the amygdala. Yes, that's it. The amygdala. <laughs> you have to, if you listen to any of these podcasts, it's going to be amygdala, hippocampus, uh, you know, and, and the various, uh, the, the autonomic nervous system. Absolutely. These are, these are all supposed to work together. In yes. fact, in fact, stress and anxiety is, is a, is a natural reaction, but sometimes they're just like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> just explain just, that explain just, that in 30 seconds no sure, we'll do that yeah sure, no problem so, I, I think it's uh we'll simplify because there is yeah. a little bit of something deeper but yes i think if you mind i actually i'm, I'm gonna back off on that simplification i, I would mind to add a third rung because i do find it okay. helpful there is a there's something called polyvagal theory by uh, Stephen Porges, which I find to be a very useful concept. The way he constructed the autonomic nervous system. Uh, what I'll first do is let's let's go with the simple. So the autonomic version. the autonomic nervous system, from the sounds of it being auto a u t o that it's yes. sort of it's sort of just an involuntary, but it works on its own. It just it you know a, a series of, of of actions. Am I am I right? I'm just only guessing from the from the sound of it. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's a, uh, it's mainly auto, you know, like autonomic meaning automatic. Uh, yeah. it's, okay. it's located in the brainstem. It's one of the most primitive, but most powerful parts of our nerve. In fact, it is the most powerful part of our, our nervous system. It affects okay. like our, your heart rate, your blood pressure. Um, you know, those things that we typically don't have, uh, you know, direct control over. Um, it's also part of our breathing. And that's one of the things why breathing techniques are often utilized to help kind of regulate the body, because it's one of the areas where it's both partially involuntary, partially voluntary. And that's why it's a gateway and why it's often used to powerfully change one's physiological state. Uh, so that's like, yeah, the autonomic nervous system. And so basically, if you think about it, if you're going to design a system, you want to have both, you know, an accelerator and you want to have a brake. Yeah. And so the accelerator, or if you want to think about it for those holistic people out there, yang, you know, the accelerator or yin and the brake. So you would want to, uh, you know, the sympathetic nervous system, what we would typically call the fight or flight response, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, those kind of things, your stress response, you know, you want that. I mean, if you're going to exercise, you're going to activate your sympathetic nervous system. It also obviously gets activated in other areas as well. And then you have the parasympathetic, which acts like the rest, digest, rejuvenation system. Uh, that's kind of like the yin and yang. And so they try to balance each other out. Uh, oftentimes, though, as you notice. So, so, I, so, my, so my sympathetic nervous system is saying, I think there's a bear out there behind that tree. And your parasympathetic nervous system is saying, no, that's a rock. Relax. Yeah, if, if that's the accurate, what your vision See, is. See, I, like I should be teaching medical school. I, I think you should. I yes. think you missed your calling there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, and so you, one would bring it up. Yeah, and then once you've noticed that it's not a bear, then the parasympathetic will kind of kick in and then allow your body to kind of come back into balance. What I'd like to just sort of construct really quickly, though, because I do think it's sort of helpful, is to think of a, a ladder uh, climbing up. And so there is one other more, even more primitive, and this was come out of the work of Stephen Porges, is um, when his polyvagal theory is that they're, they're the, the most powerful, I would say, nerve in the parasympathetic nervous system is called the vagus nerve. 
Um, it's called cranial nerve 10. Um, it, it's, it's the nerve. It's, it, the vagus means the wanderer. It goes throughout the entire body. It goes through your heart. It goes through all, it, it has a very profound influence and it's parasympathetic driven. There is a branch of the, of the vagus that's very primitive though. It's called the dorsal, uh, dorsal branch of the vagus nerve. And this is what we inherited uh, from uh, like our reptilian uh, and, and, and you know, reptilian ancestors. And it enables us to do what we call the freeze response. And so oftentimes you wonder why if you ever uh, had hit a deer or, or something like that on a road or why animals freeze in that moment is that when impending death or imminent death were felt, felt to come on, the body freezes. And, and we, and oftentimes you, some of us who've been experiencing a lot of anxiety, we get what's called a sensitization effect. Well, you might notice that in your own body, you start to feel really heavy. You feel like you almost can't move, but you have this like in tremendous internal uh, restlessness that's kind of building up in the body. Uh, it's often like, it's like your body's starting to overheat and the computer wants to go on standby mode. It's kind of like what's happening. You're going in standby mode at that particular point. So I just want to just, that would be like the bottom rung, like imminent threat. You're, you're shutting down. This is dissociation. You're imploding. So it's freeze and faint. Uh, and then as you go up that, that scale, you go into the sympathetic system because that's trying to get the energy going. Uh, and that's that fight or flight system. And then once you recognize there's no threat anymore, you can then enter into the modern, you know, the parasympathetic, what they call the ventral vagus aspect of, of the system where you're open, you're receptive, you can listen to each other. You know, you know, the one of the issues we're seeing why there's like so much more violence going on is that our sympathetic nervous systems are on hyperdrive. And so you're just there built to threat detect. And so, and when you've been in threat detect too long, you become more sensitive and it shifts your ability. So you start seeing things that are neutral as negative. So this is one of the problems we're having is that a lot of people now are seeing neutral as negative. There's this negativity shift in the way you actually perceive things. And so a lot of times you're getting people who are like getting themselves in trouble and their perception was the, was the issue rather than some sort of in, inbuilt uh, other kind of like thinking issues that, that it actually literally throws the, the body off balance. That's why I wanted to kind of bring it up because it is important in what's happening to a lot of people nowadays because of this sort of hyper uh, sympathetic arousal. So here we are with these primitive responses it, it, you know, it's almost as though our body needs an update or our mind, our neurons need, need some sort of an update. So we have this primitive mind that is still has characteristics and instincts, as you mentioned, going back as far as our reptilian ancestors, placed into a world that is every day getting faster and faster and information is is it was i think it was buckminster fuller who who had predicted and rightly so ibm confirmed that by 2020 that the sum knowledge of mankind in the world will double every 12 hours it used to take 100 years now it doubles every 12 hours so now we're taking this primitive nervous system and putting it into this modern fast-paced world is do we have a chance <laughs> like really no let's okay, go good. home and go to that's sleep and okay, rest. let's drink some tequila <laughs> so that, well this is so that's you know the, the, the interesting thing about the brain is that you know we use this model i, I know that, like there's some people will there is some holes in it but i still think it has some uh explanatory power and so we we think of what's called the triune brain where there is a uh, the the brain stem which is the autonomic nervous system aspect where you know like i said it's more uh, uh 
where we inherited that from a reptilian ancestors. And then we have the next level, which we were just simply just going to call the limbic system, where you're talking about like the hippocampus and and, and, the, and well the amygdala and those other structures that are uh, that are in that kind of uh, area and uh, the hypothalamus. I'm sorry, hippocampus is in the other area. And then you have the most evolved aspect of our brain, which is like the cortex, which means bark. And so it's the outer part of the brain. That part is what helps to modulate uh, these sort of primitive signals. And so by doing these practices, by doing um, these uh, sort of sensing practices, you are strengthening the interconnection between these three layers so that they, they, so they become more integrated. They become more sensitive to each other in an accurate way. They become more precise, more attuned. And that's when you can adapt so that when you're in this fast-paced world and you're getting like overloaded, you tune up and you tune into that. So you think, all right, it's time for me to take a 10-minute break. So you, go so take you, are, minute break. you are downloading an update for, you your, are, for, exactly. for your brain. You're, it's you're, the only way you can if you don't pay attention to what's going on in your body, if you don't yeah. go pay attention and sensing and letting yourself listen, you will continually run on the programs. For most of us, the programs we developed when we were children. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we fall into these maladaptive patterns over and over because we're not upgrading because most of the things we're doing by far, and I mean by a large amount, is unconscious. It's habitual. You're just doing it. And so if you don't give the time to listen and let yourself update a little bit, you're running on old software based when you were like five, six, seven, eight years old. All right. So what are, what are one or two first steps for us? Yeah, I think the first step is, 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 well, oftentimes what's used is breathing as a way to kind mm -hmm. of, uh, to kind of just become familiar with sensing because it's dynamic. It's easier for us to pay attention to. Now, some people who are listening to this that are anxious, uh, they may find that putting attention on their breath uh, might actually make them more anxious. So if that's the case, what I would suggest you do is use some place that's neutral. So what I'll just do in this moment, because a lot of people focus on the breath is I'll just, I'll do what I would do normally with a patient. And okay. would you mind just being yes. one of my patients today? Yes. All right. I'll give, you know, I'll give you a super bill later. So <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so what I would essentially do is I would say, okay, I would ask the person, I go, are you righty or lefty? All right. Okay. So I would say, let your attention wherever it is right now and bring it into your right hand. And what I wouldn't want you to first pay attention to is what your palm of your right hand is touching. And notice the, the whatever that is like if you're putting your hands on your knees and you're just noticing the the material in the palm of your hand and then notice the back of the hand and and, and just notice the air just that just sort of light airy feeling on the back of your hand and then sort of let your attention sort of soak inside your hand and, and just notice the different sensations that are present inside the hand itself and just let it hang out there don't try to concentrate or focus because Sensing is not something you do. You're more attuning yourself into sensing. You're, you, it's like, I wouldn't, if you were having an indigestion, I wouldn't say, well, come on, just digest a little bit better. When you're sensing, you're just opening, receiving the signal. Your body is automatically doing this. So you're just more opening and receiving the sensations that are already being generated. And what often people will feel is they'll feel either a warmth or a coolness. They'll feel either a tingling sensation or a buzzing sensation. They may feel a pulsation. They may feel just a dullness, a variety of experiences. So just sensing into your right hand and just noticing and letting it come to you. What are you noticing? You know what I noticed right away, like almost immediately was uh, my breath. Mm -hmm. it, just, it just sort of evened out 
I could feel it evening out. Nice. And what do you notice in the hand itself? Um, I'm aware of it, mm -hmm. but I'm having trouble really understanding what I'm aware of. Perfect. So this is an example. Perfect? <laughs> yes. So okay. this is a perfect example is that there are some people that can sense fairly quickly and they can they, they automatically like yeah i feel a tingling sensation i feel a warmth or i feel mm -hmm. other people it's it's difficult uh and and that's an example of this sort of what i would consider a, a partial dissociation from the body and that often is one of the reasons why we may have some struggling with emotional regulation because we're not as attuned so when i when someone else says that i'm like great this is an opportunity to get you because the more you do this now the more and, and gain access to it you're going to see uh, i think a much larger benefit uh because it's something that you're not really uh, accustomed to doing so what i would do in this case is then start to heighten the internal uh sensations in in that particular body part an easy way to do that um, is to clap your hands quickly 10 times so that you increase the sensations inside the hand. I don't know if you want to do that or yeah, not. Yeah, sure. Here, okay. Okay. And then okay. close your eyes and sense your right hand and tell yeah. me what you notice. I can feel that tingling on the more on the palm where I was clapping. Exactly. Okay. So now uh, just okay. give your attention to notice that tingling sensation and just let your attention just sort of just hang out with it. Just sort of lay on top of those tingling sensations and just noticing them. And you notice how they're just starting to go. They went from certain intensity and now the intensity starting to less. Notice how quick the tingle is. Is it a fast mm. tingle? Is it a slow tingle? Is it a medium tingle? And we may do this a few times, you know, the person may then lose it, or it sort of draws your attention in. And then all of a sudden there's sort of like a, an aha, like you start to notice something there. Sometimes that comes right off the bat. Sometimes you have to do this a few times. That is, it, it, it's amazing. It really is. And this is, I think we need to, more of this, we need to realize that mental health, uh, our mental health is connected to our entire body, not just some sections of our brain or our, our nervous system. And uh, I mean, that would help with all sorts of uh, issues that we have. It could help with, with uh, heart disease, uh, you know, anything. Absolutely. It's your internal monitor. It allows you, and it also helps you because we often, because we don't pay attention to the body un unless it's something wrong. So what this creates yeah. is, is sort of this, this negativity bias towards our own body. And so, uh, you know, then we get this sort of tension or this tightness. What is that? What's that? Oh, is there something wrong? And so when, as you start to pay attention to your body in this way, it, 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 it recalibrates your relationship uh, to the body. So then you can actually enjoy it more. So not only will you be able to detect if it's going off balance, you'll also be able to feel joy more. You'll be able to feel excitement and vitality more. You know, one of the things that I tell people is like, you know, just one thing that's like a simple thing to do that some people can get right off the bat is just drop your attention into the core of your body. And from a zero to 10, rank your level of vitality. If it's, you know, zero meaning you have no vitality in the body left, 10, you're, you're just raging with fiery vitality. Mm -hmm. And just give yourself a number, just self-subjective number. And you could just do that from time to time. And you just sort of can just drop in, sense, receive, 
and then just give a number. And this will help you to understand, like just even checking in on your own energy level. You'll notice when your energy tends to be high. And if you're, if you're following a relatively stable circadian rhythm, you'll be able to plan certain activities when your energy tends to be higher as opposed to being lower. And you'll be able to rest at other times. So you get to optimize and personalize your own kind of daily routine to wait, maximize wait, wait. and optimize your function. So you're saying we have to work at this? <laughs> It's not actually work. You know what I like to really, honestly, it's play. Yeah. When you start yeah. to access this, it's like building your spidey sense. It's yeah. like, it's, it's I, when I first started to learn, cause I'm, I was very much, I have an obsessive tendency. I'm hyperverbal. Uh, the ability to sort of tune into this. I also recognize I could feel into it once I could, you know, be able to get into my, my, my body. And the cool thing about it is that you don't have to shut off your thoughts to sense your body. It's, it's just eventually you learned how to just tune the channel into a different channel. You still have lots of thoughts for a lot of people, but guess what? It doesn't matter. They become like, sort of like in the background chatter and you bring it to the foreground, your sensations. And you'll notice that as you notice, like your breathing became equally equilibrated because in order to sense you, you, your body, you have to use the parasympathetic nervous system, which will automatically start to bring the body gently into a more balanced state. So I'm taking the control of the breathing away from the sympathetic nervous system and, and physically handing it, like you say, over to the parasympathetic nervous system. In some ways. Yeah. You, some, when yeah. you inhale, they're sympathetic. When you're exhaling, it's a, it's a parasympathetic. They're still always there. They're still balancing. But yes, what you're doing is as you start to slow it down, for instance, like if you just any, most of your breathing techniques go with elongating the exhale to mm -hmm. the, to kind of encourage and strengthening the parasympathetic power. Uh, whether you do that through pursed lips and you just let your natural breath sort of take place. Um, in that way, without having to directly control your lungs in that instance, or some other other breathing mechanisms that you can do. But yeah, that that's those are the general rules, and that's a great way to kind of easily access uh, your your ability to uh, balance out your nervous system. There's a there's a gentleman um, that that's actually doing a lot of podcasts right now. He's neuroscientist Andrew Huberman, and he uh, he, uh, he brings up this sort of uh, this double inhale. Uh, I, I I add it to what I call the the I call it the one big ass breath where you sort of just, uh, you just bring it in. And I, I like to make things playful. And, and like, this is like an exploration. It's not, if you see it as work, you're not going to continue to do it, but I find it fascinating. What? And I, and I try to engender that into the people I teach because it is, I think. I was and reading something so, from him not too long ago, actually he's from Stanford. And, correct. and, and he was talking about past traumas and maybe you can speak to this. I, I don't know. And, and he was saying that one treatment, believe it or not, is to think of that trauma and simply shoot your eyes left, shoot your eyes right, shoot your eyes left, shoot your eyes right. While yeah. at the same time thinking of something pleasant, you know, it, it, it just, our, our mind works in such mysterious ways. It really is like a computer. And every once in a while, I guess, like I say, we need to update it. We need to reset it. We need to, to give it the right commands. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Francine Shapiro was mentioning her work on EMDR, or eye movement desensitization or resensitization. And it is that by, it's not only just bilateral stimulation of the eyes, too. You can do that with uh, tactile, uh, you know, different things they do. They have, uh, you can go online on YouTube and have like bilateral, you, have to, you wear hat, um, kind of, a, you know, headphones and you allow the 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 sound to go back and forth. There's bilateral stimulation, but he's a, he focuses on the eye. So this, this one of the things, the explanations of that is that generally when we're moving forward, 
that you would generally do this sort of scanning movement. And when we're moving forward, there's different adaptations that take place that kind of make it easier for you to take on challenges. For instance, one of the things is that when you move forward towards something, your body's pain threshold uh, increases so that you can tolerate more pain, as opposed to when you're retreating, your pain threshold drops and you become more sensitive to pain. Uh, so there's this idea of like, you know, by going forward towards, you know, like kind of leaning into some of these uh, things that are that we tend to avoid can profoundly change your relationship with it. You know, it, I, I think that what is so wonderful about this is that quite often when we're when we're worried about our mental health and we're doing things to work on our mental health, it doesn't matter what we're doing, whether we're, we're meditating, doing breathing exercises, things like that. But what you're talking about is actually exciting and actually is is not only improving your mental health it 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 sounds fun it sounds exciting it sounds it sounds like hope it sounds yeah. like hope and i think a lot of people who go see therapists like they've just lost all that hope but mm -hmm. this just seems so centered and in my own area and my own wheelhouse and 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 that changes the game yeah i mean think about it like we said the body's the vehicle you're going to be riding your life through if you can actually get more comfortable just being embodied like like wait right now as i'm talking to you uh, you know you can a more sophisticated technique is called dual attention where you you can bring part of your attention i often bring it into my core i got it around my belly as i'm as i'm speaking at the same time and that helps me actually to empathy you know, uh, an interesting aspect of that is that they, when they do studies, for instance, the way they do a lot of the interoception studies, a slight tangent here, is by having people sense their heart rate and then they kind of measure it and they see how accurate they are. Um, but what was interesting in one of these studies or a couple of the studies that they did on empathy is that even if they weren't that accurate, it actually only about 10% of the people are, are fairly accurate with that uh, kind of capacity to be able to sense their heart rate in that way. However, regardless of their accuracy, just by sensing into their heart, just that practice alone, regardless of how accurate they were, they were better at empathy. And that was so interesting. Just by attuning your body, you're able to attune yourself to the world. Yeah. Amazing. And when it comes right down to it, what happens when you go see a psychiatrist, a therapist, you sit there for an hour and talk. They barely mm -hmm. say anything. They sort of guide you, but that's the beauty. That's the magic of psychotherapy is you've got the answers. Your body has the answers. You got to find them. You got to listen. Yeah. That's if, if, and anything I can, we have to like, I mean, I think you could use this for a lot of things, but the more we listen in this very noisy world that we currently live in, the more the, you know, when, when you're in a position of listening, you're in a position of learning. If you're talking, you're not going to learn much. You're just saying things that you've said probably a thousand times before. Yeah. But when you listen and really allow it, listening is an, is an art. It takes, it takes practice to listen. But once it's easier, like especially if you have like a really active mind, it's hard because then you're thinking mm -hmm. of what's the next thing I'm going to say and all that kind of stuff. But as you start to bring and start doing these sort of body practices, there's sort of a trust that starts to build up and you just become more your capacity to listen, your capacity to learn goes up tremendously. And that's why I find it to be such a central piece of overall um, well-being in general. Yeah. 
drmance.com. That's D-R-M-A-N-T-Z.com. Um, mm-hmm. What else do you have? Do you have, you have a podcast, don't you? Um, I was actually exploring some things with a friend of mine. We were just doing some interviews that we did at the beginning. It's so interesting. My friend was actually in um, in Australia at the time when we started to do all the lockdown thing. And it was really interesting to talk with him. So we did a couple of those. Those were kind of done just very low key. Um, I also started to go on Twitter at that time because I felt like um, I, I needed to have expressive voice. I don't think there was a lot of people, you know, especially in the news media, bringing out using what we know about the human mind and how it, it's going to respond to certain types of uh, policies that are out there and how it might actually, you know, these policies could be very detrimental on how to uh, change them in ways that, that could be, uh, that make things a lot easier for all of us and how, and go through such a difficult experience that we've been going through. So there's at Michael Mance MD on, on the Twitter as well. And then I'm also going to be doing a, a webinar on anxiety. Uh, right now, I don't have the link in my head, but uh, it, I would, a two part on uh, February 5th and on the 26th, I'm actually doing a 90 minute times two because I felt like anxiety is such a huge thing that's going on right now. And I wanted to bring some of this interoception stuff that we talked about today as a part of that and also add in some of the other things that really you know, give an integrative approach to how to approach anxiety. All right. So how can people find Is that information about the webinar going to be on your website? Uh, once I have the uh, the site, because I'm working with another company, I'm just starting out on this and yeah. trying to go from uh, my my private practice to trying to spread more of the word out on this type of uh, type of psychiatry. Uh, and so I'm just getting my feet wet in this particular <laughs> area. So I'm still very much a novice. So I'm working with another uh, my first uh, the podcast I did with a Dr. Lisa Firestone mm-hmm. um, that's on her you know on her webpage over there. Uh, I did and also on my Twitter the pin tweet has that particular podcast. It's going to be on that same. Uh, web website yep. uh, where I'll be doing two webinars for that. All right. I'm looking at that right now on that same website. Um, uh, so that's at Michael Mance MD and that's M-A-N-T-Z MD. The website is Dr. Dr. Mance, M-A-N-T-Z.com. Um, yeah. Uh, this is um, this is great stuff. This is really good stuff. And we need to get more information like this out to people because people need hope right now more than anything people need they need their mom or their dad to put their arms around them and say it's going to be okay yeah yeah and you know one thing i'll I'll leave with with just one other thing practice that i sometimes do if that's okay yes all right so what one of the things is is that what you do is is that what i want you first do and you can do this right now kevin is that just take um take your right hand and put it on on your chest like right in the middle of your chest and just Feel what that feels like. Just get a sense of that. And then switch your hand and try your left hand. And see which hand feels more calmness. Your right hand on your chest or your left hand on your chest. Feels more calmness? Just feels more comfortable. I'd say the right, yes. Yeah, there is a difference. Yeah, so your right hand then on that area and your left hand at the base of your button. At At the base of your what? I'm sorry. Of your belly button. Okay. Yep. Your umbilicus. Ah, yes. Your umbilicus. <laughs> <laughs> and what I'd like you to do is first experiment on the top hand and just notice like, if it wants a little more pressure or lighter pressure or, you know, what type of pressure feels most okay. comfortable. Again, just sensing what's comfortable. And the same thing with the bottom hand. Okay. And all then right. all I want you to do is give your attention to the bottom hand and Offer an invitation to your body 
to just let the breath, don't put any of your own effort in there. Just let the breath just sort of go to that left hand that you have at the, at the umbilicus. And whether it does so or not, it's just an invitation. And just allow yourself to just experience the breath naturally. And just also experience this self-hug, this connection, this kind of sense of, of just honoring this amazing creation that we have called the human body. And just allow to just open up and receive that gift. And how long your body would want that, just allow yourself to enjoy that. Interesting. And so this is like a, a self-hug. And by asking these simple questions like, you know, how much pressure, which hand, what you're doing there is you're not using your analytical mind anymore. You're actually what we call bottom-up processing, sensing. And then, oh, yeah, that feels more comfortable. Oh, the pressure like here, that's more comfortable. So what we're slowly doing is bursting the top-down kind of normal process of this top-down dominance and going into a bottom-up more sensual dominance. And it allows for a gentle shift to occur. So if you do that a couple times, just checking in like this, a self-hug, this self-check. You may notice one time it's your right hand on top, then other time it's your left hand on top. Don't, don't assume it's just going to be the same hand each time. And in, in real time, you'll get to notice this sort of alive, beautiful thing that you're walking around in. It's, it's definitely calming. It's definitely calming. Yeah. Well, thank you for this. I want you to come back sometime soon. Absolutely. Anytime, Kevin. I really right. appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, Dr. Michael Mance. You're welcome. Take care. Have a great one. Although this may seem like a revolutionary approach, when you look at it, it uses the same tried and true fundamentals of better mental health. Recognizing your feelings, examining those feelings, being present with your feelings. We feel cold. We know we feel cold, so we take action. We put a sweater on. So it stands to reason that we feel stressed. We know we feel stressed. It's up to us on how we take action. Thanks for joining me. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health. <laughs>